accept this reality. We accept that we cannot level up to God. And as we do this, he says it's like putting on a cloak. And you clothe yourself with Jesus. So we're covered. We've got Jesus on us. You can't see us, what we think we bring to the table, where we don't. We're just cloaked in Jesus. And so it's a beautiful thing to become a child of God. And so I want to skip down a little bit to uh, Galatians 4, um, where Paul talks a little bit more about what he means by being a child of God. And so it says, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. So in other words, God in heaven came like one of us and under the same system of us, basically so that he could change it and fix it and conquer it. And in doing that, he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. So that was from Galatians 4, verse 4 to 7. And so this, there's just so much in this scripture again. Galatians is something we could study for like months, <laughs> probably four weeks. There's so much there. But basically, Paul's describing that when we put our faith in Jesus, a transformation takes place within us. The spirit of Jesus comes to live within us. That's what we say when we say, invite Jesus into your heart. That's what we mean. We're saying, come and live in my heart. And when that happens, the son of God, the spirit of God lives within us. And that it's a spirit connection. It's a prompting within that would cause us to say, God, my father. And, and so it's a knowing that is deep within us. And this is a, it's a spiritual thing that happens less than a, a mental thing. And so that's the spirit that we receive when we become a Christian. It's not something that we can manufacture or try to, you know, make an outward appearance of. It's something that happens deep within us, you know, to be a son or a daughter. I, I thought it was beautiful the way David described his interaction with Harmony earlier, and I'm going to use that later on. It was stunning. But, you know, when I pick my kids up from school... Like, they're all in uniform. There's all these kids. They're all in uniform. And I can't, like, work out which ones are mine. So, <laughs> Kelsey's picked my kids up from school before. She'd probably be even... Sometimes I have to look at their shoes to find the shoes <laughs> that I bought for my kids to find my kid. So, there's nothing really... You know, they've all got hats on and, you know, I can't see them. But somewhere in there... And sometimes I just yell their names... And it's kind of embarrassing because I'm not really sure where they are, so I sort of just yell and then hope that a child turns around. But at the end of the day, when finally that child turns around and connects with me, and it's the same as what David described, and yet their eyes lock with mine and they're like, Mummy! And they run towards me and they wrap their arms around me and, you know, they are my child. And when they're all in uniform, there's nothing obvious in the external appearance that would make them be my child but they're my child because of the inside they, they carry my dna they see me as their parent they, they have an expectation of good things from me they are very devoted to their membership in our family our children you know god help shafe and i if we miss family movie night on a friday night or, or family <laughs> various family activities that we've got uh, and so this is kind of the picture, it's the inside of them, it's that connection with us, daddy, mummy, that makes them 
know that they are my children so much than the outside. And so it's interesting I say this to you because that term Abba in the, in the original language, the closest translation is daddy. And so it's the most, you know, kind of affectionate, endearing term that you could use. And so this is what Paul is saying. You are God's children. You've got the spirit of God in you that calls out Abba or daddy. It's a close, intimate, trusting relationship. That is what it looks like to have a right relationship with God. And the reason that Paul is emphasizing this is for us in church, we often grow up, oh, you're the children of God, la, 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 and it kind of just rolls off your tongue. But for these guys in the early church, we've got, it's made up of Jews and what we call Gentiles and non-Jewish people. So you've got your, your Jews who, before Jesus, their entire connection with God was based in rules and laws like that just framed up everything. And there was all kinds of things that they had to do to be in connection with God. So that's them. And then you've got the Gentiles, or the non-Jews, who mostly were from pagan religions. And so they were constantly appeasing a whole range of different gods. And there was all sorts of things that they had to do to appease the gods and keep the gods kind of cool and and chill with them and get what they want out of them. So these are people whose entire understanding of spirituality and relating to God is all around what they can do, their effort, their rules, their laws, their their working harder, doing more. And so trying to explain or transform or help these people understand how to relate to God was an ongoing uh, effort from the leaders. And so this is why Paul was so angry when he discovered that there were leaders there actually teaching these people that, no, you do need to do some of these rules to be okay with God. Because he's like, you can't have both. You can't believe that you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone and believe that you can keep these laws as well. The the, the two don't go together. And in fact, if you introduce this idea of keeping rules into your faith, then that eats away at the very foundation of who we are as sons and daughters of God. And so from this scripture, I see there's sort of three key things I'm just going to chat about. And the first one is that we are to approach God as Father. That is what a right relationship with God looks like. He is our Father. That's how we're designed to interact with God. And, um, you know, it's not always so easy, though. And it was interesting um, listening to Dan talk earlier about how, you know, he had a sense that people had had names spoken over them that were ungodly. And I think sometimes we can have... We can understand that the reality is that God has made us sons and daughters of his, but sometimes lies and thoughts and things that are in our mind, experiences perhaps with our own father or perhaps experiences we might have had with a representative of God, a leader in the church perhaps, or or other things that might have happened to us can create almost like a, a mental block and we can't quite see it. Some people cannot call God daddy, can't. It's impossible. There's like a mental block there in that space. And, you know, I I believe that that is something that God is here to heal. It's a matter of healing. It's not a matter of doing more or being better or thinking greater. It's a matter of healing. And the reason that I say this is that I've been healed of that mentality. Quite a few years ago, I used to always see God as a master and actually as a good master, not like a bad one. Like I was like, God is awesome. I love working for God. It's so fun. Like, God is awesome. He's my master. That's how I felt. I couldn't 
refer to God as daddy. I couldn't have that kind of intimacy. It felt inappropriate. I, I don't know why. I suspect lies of inadequacy and not being enough or not being good enough probably were at the base of that. I, I haven't really investigated it a great deal. All I knew was that was a thing and I didn't care about it because I liked working for God because God was great. So that's how I felt. And then one day I was in a prayer meeting and I was I don't know, I think I was getting prayer for healing or something or other, and God spoke to me clear as day. I don't know what the prayer was saying, but God spoke to me clear as day. He said, I am healing you of your fear of intimacy with me. And I was like, whoa, what? (laughs) Like, what? I didn't get it at all. But it was, it's probably the clearest I've ever heard God speak to me. And um, I kind of walked away from that and thought, okay, that's interesting. But I can tell you, from that moment on, Everything in the way I relate to God changed. It was like this mental block that had been there for my whole life was just like gone all of a sudden. I could call God daddy. I got it. I could see it. I could understand. All of a sudden I had pictures of God in my whole life with me throughout my whole life. I'd never seen it like that before. Being there, you know, comforting me, helping me, guiding me, all of these things. I'd never seen it like that before and all of a sudden I could see that. All of a sudden I could um, draw close to God in a way that I hadn't been able to before. And so I experienced healing in that area. And so, you know, for many of us, for all many different reasons, it's very hard. There can be those mental blockages. And so I'm going to be trusting God for healing for you in those areas um, because I think ultimately that's, that's what we need when we have that in our life. And so for me now, there's such a beautiful purity about my connection with God, like, I'm not agonising over what I've done right or haven't done right. Like, I'm not an employee of God's anymore. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm a daughter, and so it doesn't matter. Those things don't matter as much. And, you know, I can just connect. It's a lot more straightforward now. And so it's such an important... It is such an important thing for us to grasp. God as father, not as master. Slaves have masters. Sons and daughters have fathers. Yeah. So the next thing I think that we're seeing in this Galatians passage is that we're to approach God from a place of relationship and not from a place of rules. So God wired us to live in relationship with him. That's why he created us, interestingly, for connection with him. So he set it up that way originally. And um, I was thinking about this and I'm like, imagine if my children, you know, my beautiful children that I can't recognise at school, but when they recognise me, they're like, mummy! Imagine if they got it into their head that in addition to being, like, born by me, therefore my kids, they also had to keep a certain rule to stay good with me, you know. Imagine, say, it was they're not allowed to eat sugar. If they eat sugar, then their relationship with me, as as me as their mum and them as my child, is compromised. What would that do to our relationship? I was thinking about that. I thought I can imagine they'd be trying so hard not to eat sugar at first. But, you know, for a child, that's the impossible task, right? Just like it is for us sometimes. And we have certain things in our mind that we, we've got to do that are important to us, you know, and that we think might compromise our relationship with God if we don't. Imagine if my children, then, they're at a party and, oh, no, they ate some sugar. Imagine how they would feel. I can imagine they'd probably distance themselves from me. They might start thinking, what are, I've done this, I've broken this rule, I've compromised my relationship with mum, what, what can I do to make that better? And then the cycle goes on and they're thinking, well, maybe if I do this and I do this, maybe I can make up for that. And, and then there's this cycle and the distance grows and maybe somewhere in there they just go, it's too hard, 
I feel too bad whenever I see my mum, so I'm just going to walk away from that. Imagine that. Isn't that, like, devastating? And I'm not, like, I haven't changed. I haven't put that on them. It's something that, they, that they've put on themselves. And I think so often we can do that. Like, I used to, I, one of the disciplines of faith that I value in my life is reading the Bible. And so I went through a season where it was so important to me to read the Bible, and I love reading the Bible. But what happened was if I didn't, I started to think that I couldn't draw close to God because I hadn't read my Bible. And so then I kind of got myself into this weird pattern where if I hadn't read my Bible, I didn't draw close to God until I had time to make up that time reading my Bible. And sometimes I would set like, all right, I'm going to spend like half a day reading my Bible to make up because I didn't. And don't get me wrong, it was awesome spending half a day reading my Bible. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. It was great. But, but the source of it was kind of trying to make up for it. I was trying to hit this mark. And when I became a parent, well, I couldn't do that anymore because, you know, I was, like, broken. I was like, there is nothing I can do but look after this child. And so if you're not good with that, God, then I'm stuffed pretty much. But it really set me free of a lot of stuff because... I started to realise that, no, I can draw close to God. doesn't matter if I've read my Bible or not. I can simply draw close to God in my heart. And then what I found was as I drew close to God in my heart, well, then I had the grace to read my Bible. And so I had it the wrong way around. And it's so easy for us to do that in our lives. Something that we maybe love to do, we can end up holding up as somehow some kind of standard that if we don't do it, it affects our ability to connect to God. So we need to approach God from a place of relationship, not from a place of rules. Think of it like an employee and an employer relationship. I went to this restaurant in Mount Hawthorne a few months ago. Oh, probably more than that. It was before COVID, I think. Anyway, I went there with Leanna. And I was the only, we were the only people there in the restaurant. And the, the employee was sitting on a beanbag on the floor when we walked in. And they didn't get up very quickly. And they eventually got up and came over and it was just a real obligation. They're like, oh, what do you want? I'm like, oh, what do you, well, how does it work here? They're like, oh, it's just on the menu. I'm like, okay, well, you know, does rice come with it? Like, it was really hard. <laughs> and I finally ordered. And I went and sat down at the table and it was dirty. So, excuse me, <laughs> can you come and clean the table? So they cleaned the table. And then they brought the food out. And I'm sitting there with my kid. I'm sitting there and they brought the food out. And then I'm like, oh, there's no cutlery. Excuse me, there's no cutlery. They're like, yeah, it's at the bench, self-serve. I'm like literally the only person in the restaurant. I'm like, all right. So I leave my kid and my food. I get up, I go get the cutlery, bring it back. You know, and I'm just like, this place is awful and I am never coming back here again. And I'm telling everyone I know, do not come back there again. (laughs) I didn't really, but I actually did email the owners because I felt that Obviously, these people were not the owners. I felt bad for the owners because I'm like, they would be horrified. If you own a restaurant, you would be just absolutely horrified to think that guests had come in and not been treated well, that had, you know, that especially the only guests that were there that night, that had not been treated well, had not been served, had not been given a good experience. And so that's the difference, I think, the mentality and employee before God. When we do, we become Christians and we think, oh, let's do something for God, let's serve, let's help people. If we're serving with this mentality, of an employee, like minimum obligation, you know, just tick off the basic boxes here, get my wages, go home. That's an employee mentality. But an owner, or perhaps the kids of the owner, well, no, this is their inheritance. This is part of who they are. This is part of their identity as a family. And so they're like serving like the owner would serve. So we're sons and daughters 
we're not employees. So, so much in this one scripture. Yeah. So, now, I had another point there. Oh, sorry. All right. So, what I wanted to touch on, though, is sometimes we can get confused about this whole idea because we say that grace, there's no additives. You know, you don't need to do anything else to be saved by grace through faith in Jesus. But then we go, okay, cool, so what does that mean then? We have no obligation, no requirement to do anything with that. We don't have to come and serve at church. I mean, church wouldn't exist if we all had that mentality. We're safe and I like, sweet, saved by grace. We're not doing anything. You know, we'd be awful leaders. It would be terrible. You know, we'd boot us out. It'd be no good. So... Um, I wanted to just pause and talk about that. Shafe and I actually have a, a framework around which we see this. We see, we have these three R words, because that's very Shafen, but... <laughs> isn't it? Some laughs there, anyone that knows Shafen well? <laughs> um, it's the order that counts, and it's the place from which we serve that counts. So we receive... Faith. We receive Christ through faith in Jesus. Nothing else is done to receive salvation, to receive that free gift. But then as we receive that gift and there's a transformation that goes on with our spirits, especially the spirit within us that cries out, Abba, Father, and we realise we're adopted into the family of God, then there's a response that takes place where we respond back to God, so we receive for free, nothing else added, and we respond back to God. You know, thank you, God, you're so good, I'm so full of your presence, I'm so grateful, and so I want to be, be kind, and I want to be generous, I want to be like you, Jesus, I want to bring your name to others, I want to be uh, a good person, I want to, you know, and there's this desire, it's a response, though. It's not whatever the other word is, to get to God. It's a response to God. And then from there, the third R word, as we respond to God and we start to see this maturity in our life, we start to become like, you know, as the kids grow up a bit, they take responsibility in the kitchen or in the, in the restaurant where they're going to, you know, where they're heirs to the restaurant or that, that's their inheritance. It's the like, same with us. We step up and we take responsibility. We might carry a leadership role or we might serve on a team because we've stepped up into a space where we're going to carry the responsibility, be part of the family business, part of where, you know, the inheritance is, the blessing is. We see it as our family and as a part of who we are. And so those are the three R's, that's how we kind of frame it up. But Philippians um, 2, verse 12 to 13 also describes it really well. It says this, Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire to do and the power to do what pleases him. That is so awesome. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. We were praying with our leaders during the week, or last week, and we were praying this. I didn't even realise there was a scripture for it till today, but we were praying around it, and we were saying, God, shape our desires to be what yours are. Give us the grace to do the things that you're calling us to do. Literally change us on the inside so that we are doing exactly what we want to do, and it's also exactly what you want us to do shape and change our desires. 
And that's why here at Everlife, we never demand that people do anything because we believe that God is the one that motivates and inspires and transforms people. And we want people to be working in sync with that desire, with that motivation. Not because we're like, you have to serve if you want to be at Everlife. It's because, um, because that's not the, it's the wrong way around. So we wait and we watch and we fully expect that people, so we always invite, because we fully expect that at some point someone will go, yeah, I want to do that thing, or I'm interested in that thing there. Because that's what happens when the Spirit of God is working within us. The third thing I wanted to touch on just before we finish up is that we need to give God our whole heart. Jeremiah 29, 13 to 14 says, You seek me and you find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Do you know, Christianity, you just got to go all in, otherwise it doesn't work. One of the challenges, I think, you know, for people that Paul was writing to was that the background had been, like I explained before, that they had to do certain things to be okay with God. And so the idea of going all in and just going, okay, saved through faith in Jesus alone, all my eggs are in one basket. It's so tempting to go, oh, but I'm just going to also do this just in case. So just going to shore it up, hedge my bets, you know, spread it around the risk, make sure it's all good. That would have been such a temptation for people. But I think it still exists today in our own hearts. You know, there's another part in Galatians and it talks about um, Abraham, who's an Old Testament person. Actually, it all started with Abraham. He is the father of the the nation of Israel. And God said to Abraham, come, follow me. I'm going to make you a great nation and I'm going to promise you all of this things. You're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God. Come with me. Only problem was Abraham had no kids, couldn't have kids. Him and his wife could not have kids. And God's like, I will make you a great nation. Hmm. And on time went on and on. They still didn't have any kids. And then um, Abraham and Sarah took things into their own hands, actually. And Abraham sat with the slave girl of Sarah's and they had a child. So they had a child. And then years went on and Guess what? Sarah got pregnant, had a child. One child was born from a place of slavery, from the place of a human attempt to fulfill the promise of God. The other child was born out of promise, from the Spirit of God, from the power of the Spirit of God, as God had always intended. And there was great trouble and great strife between these two siblings. One born out of slavery, one born from the promise, could not exist together a great mess and you can read about it and you can study into it, it's very interesting. It was a great mess, great trouble came from it though. You know, when I was thinking about that and I was thinking, God, you know, it's like what David said about him and Harmony. When she comes and she comes towards him, she launches herself in to his arms, not afraid, not afraid, knows wholly and completely that he has got her. If anything happens, he's got her. And I think, imagine if Abraham had done that, you know, if he hadn't tried to fix it himself or make it better himself. What if we did that? How many times in our life does God give us a a promise or shows us something and we try to do it ourselves and we get ourselves into a bit of a mess and often end up disillusioned with God? What if we just went, you know what, 
I'm all in. I'm going to trust you wholly and completely, God. Just like Harmony launches herself into, into David's arms. She's all in. All her eggs are in one basket. If he fails her, it's all over, Red Rover. But of course he never does. And so, you know, for us, Christianity, this grace stuff doesn't work unless we're all in unless we trust God 100%, unless all of our eggs are in the basket of grace, all of our eggs are in His. You know, for us as, as Christians, sometimes I think we can come into church and one person can look the same as the next person. You could have two people serving on the hospitality team. One could be doing that at a place as God as master, seeing themselves as an employee, having to do this thing and they're doing it and they're doing it out of duty and they're probably doing it really well but on the inside they're drawing from reserves of human strength and fatigue and just not, it's not the right source and then you've got another one who might also be doing the same thing but they're like I belong here God is my daddy I'm a part of this this is a family business it is my joy to be here they could both be doing exactly the same thing but one will go home feeling tired and flat and burnt out. The other one will go home feeling invigorated and like, yeah. This is something that is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the source. And it's only something that we can know ourselves. And so some of us tonight might have, you know, as we've talked, might have gone, oh, I think I might have some of the mentality of a slave in me. Maybe I see God more as a master. Some of us might have realised we're doing something out of a sense of duty instead of out of a, a sense of devotion. Some of us might be holding back parts of our heart from God, just, just in case. I'm not going to go all in. So I just want to pray for us, if anyone's in that situation. So why don't we just stand up and we're going to worship in a minute. Let's just pray. Let's just close our eyes and pray. Like, If you have found yourself in a situation where you're like, yeah, I think that might be me. God, I'm, I've been relating to you in a way that isn't, isn't quite right. That's not in line with the, the way that Paul is showing us that we relate to you, that you're our father, you're our daddy, you're the one that we run to, the one that we trust, the one that we work with. If that is, if we've fallen away from that, Lord, I pray that you would forgive us for, for going our own way, for doing it in a way that we think is best. Lord, I pray that you would give us the power and the desire. Lord, give me the power and the desire to do the things you've called me to, to see you the way that I've been designed to see you, to see you as daddy, to give you my whole heart, holding back nothing, 